Bienvenidas. Hosh Kavdinis. Welcome to the Drawing Core Podcast. Como estas? How are you? Are you all very well? I hope you are. Hope you had a good week. Um, I've had a sicky week. I've been sick. Been ill. Not good. About four days out for the count. Not... Not a happy chappy. <clears throat> so I've got a recovery mode podcast for you. Uh, I'm going to read you a story. And uh, saying I'm in recovery, I am sitting outside right now with a hot water bottle and a cup of vitamin healing uh, defense tea so says the tea bag but I am outside because it's it's really still you might remember I said that the reason I hadn't recorded my own bird song was because I mainly record wind if I take this mic outside Yeah, there's like no wind. It's good, isn't it? It may be. There aren't a huge number of birds here. But like, if you can you hear that sound? It's like that's like one of the only close by farm roads. Oh, that's a plane. That's less. Uh, you don't want that, really, do you? Uh, it's a bit of a downer having a plane there the first few minutes anyway um, maybe maybe it's all too quiet maybe you can't hear any of the noises around but <clears throat> I'm sitting in the air it's very fresh it's cold air but it's really beautiful it's like the start of this lovely winter air So yeah, I'm on my little table, in the grass, in a field, getting uh, getting a nice bit of winter air. I was going to do a podcast about hardcore techno. Not really in the mood for that. I was going to do a podcast about the, the films I've watched this week, because I did the only sensible thing for a person of this generation to do while they're ill just watch films that I've torrented and Netflix so I watched quite a lot of films this week, I watched four or five films which is quite a lot for for my average week and I uh, made I figured a few little responses to the films which I will present to you in a podcast form, but not today. Today I'm going to read you a story, because I already had thought a few podcasts back that I didn't want to lose the creative element of the podcast. Is Creativity is at the centre of what I want to do with this. Every podcast I think of as a piece of art, in the sense that it has a 
creation process, it's a creative act, it has a creator and an audience and um, Vianney we talked about the way that I think and hope that works before but I wanted to bring creativity into the foreground, into the ground before us in this podcast and actually read your fucking story. So it might be a bit shorter podcast this week, but it's a it's a fairish story. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rush it. And um, I hope you enjoy. It. I'm not gonna not gonna say much more this week. Oh, although Drawing Core has an Instagram account now. Yeah, which to be honest, is quite fun to play with. So check out Drawing Core on Instagram and. Uh, we'll be sharing some interesting things and some creative things. Got plenty of ideas coming and going, uh, so I'm sure you'll see some of those ideas popping up. Some which are in relation to the podcasts, and some which are not extra, extra special podcast features, kind of thing. Um, it's yeah. I hope I hope that you can help me find ways to share this podcast so it can have an audience and it can reach people. Anything you can do would be grand. Um, but if you just if it's if it's just me and you, I'm not complaining. I'm just giving you some more tasty drawing uh, through Instagram. It's the first time I've personally used Instagram, so. Uh, it's a it's a bit like a new gadget. You gotta love a new gadget. So uh, yeah. Oh, there's a spider over there. It's big and big spider. Nice work, spider. See, no wind. Spider hanging on a bit of grass in the middle of the field, chilling, doing its business. It's not even twitching in the wind. Admittedly, sometimes the. Um, a tassel would you call it a tassel from then the bit of the tea bag if you've got your tea bag on a string the bit of the string that that hangs out the side of the cup the tassel the tassel of the tea bag probably you know with the label on it probably someone is like oh it's called a this but the tassel of the tea bag is sometimes having a bit of a flicker in the wind but otherwise uh be good if uh, during the story the wind picks up and it gets more dramatic, wouldn't it? Well, it'd be good. So anyway, I get on with the story. But uh, what I'm going to do is when I finish the story, I'm going to go straight into the song. So this is a, this is this is this is already a goodbye. I'm going to say goodbye now um, because I'm going to you're going to read the story, let it let it take its own space, and then I'm going to play a song. Uh, a relaxing song today because we're in recovery mode after being sick and play a lovely lovely little song beautiful song that uh, I found from a collection called the One Taste Collective volume 2 I think many many years ago and it was the one song that I didn't forget from that album Uh, it's by a folk singer called Fiona Bevan and I I don't know much about Fiona but I will be sure to uh, post some details of her website or that on the uh, 
um, on the podcast and the song is called Pirates and Diamonds so please enjoy that after the story and as for the rest of this week take good care of yourselves and yeah treat yourselves good treat other people good just you know check your responsibilities don't let people down but don't do more than you need to don't put too much burden on your shoulders my friends we're all in it together okay the story this week's story time this week's story time the story is called cases and questions the priest sat in the corner scowling at me and continuously shaking his head I assumed at first that he was present because of his relationship to the plaintiff but I began to think after some time that he may only be there to deliver his disapproving expressions and make me the accused feel guilty and ashamed he was wearing a curious robe It was not my place to assume knowledge of his religion, but it was certainly unlike those with which I am familiar. It may very well be the case that priest is an incorrect moniker for his duty, but it was the translation that I was given. The attorney read everyone's statements one by one, dispassionately and absent-mindedly, as if stalling for an impending resolution that would reveal itself only if he could keep all of us in his office for long enough. From time to time, the priest would break off from his scowling and head-shaking and erupt, shouting and thrusting his arms in all directions, as if outraged that something in one of the statements had been misrepresented. Of course, it was all indecipherable to me, and my translator had long since given up, and was now prowling around under the chairs, looking for mice. Dutifully, the attorney would listen to the priest's rageful comments and record them with swift strokes of his novelty pen, shaped like a rocket, appending the comments to the priest's statement. The plaintiff was elderly, and every time he lifted his glass of wine, I noticed an unsteadiness in his right hand. Whilst I knew that this observation might perhaps grant me a certain sympathy towards his cause, in fact it annoyed me. Such a display of life's final years, such a monument to life's final energy, such a distinguished gentleman who had walked the hot coal loved and lost and loved again grown people not in the sense of test tubes and preservation tanks but in the sense of nurture and companionship and who had fulfilled the expectations society imposed upon him why was he doing this now why was he using life's final energy to accuse me of wrongdoing Why was he so determined to win from me something that he would have little or no use for in his final years? I had copies of the statements in my own language, and also in Spanish because there had been some misunderstanding. 
I read them while the erstwhile performance continued, between the attorney's monotonous voice, the priest's bitter anger, the distinguished plaintiff's shaking hand, and the translator's pitiful mewing. The central MacGuffin in the plaintiff's statement was the property deed, most likely long given over to coffee stains and inept filing somewhere in my old apartment, to which he consistently referred to as if it were a lover who had sailed out to sea during a storm many years past and had still yet to return. He held out hope that the deed was marooned somewhere, itself pining for him and that one day they might be reunited. In fact, the statement was much less prosaic than this description, and it certainly would have benefited from a more romantic flair. The accusation levelled at me was the appropriation of said MacGuffin and the forgery of a transfer of ownership document that had allowed me to do so. After this incident was said to have happened, I took up residence in the property, the deed of which was in question, and still lived there, or otherwise utilised the property on an irregular basis, up until the moment I had left the property in the morning and travelled to the attorney's office and waited politely for my coffee to cool down. My main defence regarded being unable to write, I was confident that this would be hard to falsify. My lawyer assured me that any witnesses to my writing could most likely not say for certain that I was not simply marking paper with shapes and lines, and so their statements would be admissible. I was also pretty sure I had never been recorded on video writing, but even if footage emerged, it would likely not be able to distinguish the possibility of my writing letters and words from the possibility that I was simply marking paper with shapes and lines. My lawyer assured me that if there does exist a witness or a video of me writing letters and words, she will proceed to argue that letters and words are merely shapes and lines marking paper and thus cannot necessarily be considered writing. I was confident in this defence. However, there was a flaw in my argument, the same thing that was the most irrefutable claim in the plaintiff's statement. I had been living at the property a number of years, or I had been otherwise utilising it on an irregular basis, sometimes visiting and sometimes hosting other people or animals. I had left the property on that morning and travelled to the attorney's office and waited politely for my coffee to cool down. I had also given a receipt for my taxi ride to the administration team at the district attorney's office who would record and file the information and then arrange my reimbursement. The priest's statement that I had in my hands was incomplete as it included neither his shouting nor the wild thrusts of his arms that had punctuated the last hour sitting in the office. The incomplete statement was a cascading torrent of accusations, some against me specifically, many against an imaginary undefined group of similar people of which I was one, 
mostly to the world at large and all the people therein. I understood that he was mainly angry because he was struggling to perform his role, choosing sacrifices from his parish to offer up to Chernobog on the third Wednesday of every month. I had wondered why there was a blood-stained stone altar in the grounds of the property, but I had not found an answer until now. This mystery solving gave me some satisfaction, but it also provoked more questions in me. Why did this priest follow such a bloodthirsty god? Why did others follow such a god? Or if they generally did not, why had no one stopped the priests? sacrificing people. Why was I able to turn a blind eye for so long to something that was clearly disturbing? Why was I sitting in this room as the accused when no guilt seemed to rest with the priest who was killing those he deemed sinful or unworthy? The priest, unable to access his altar for the length of my residency there, had been sacrificing people at his mother's house, which was impractical and unhygienic. I was tempted for a brief moment to say to him that he was welcome to visit the grounds of the property and that I had put no fences around the land because I had no intention of discouraging visitors. For that brief moment, I felt sympathy for his shyness. After that brief moment passed, I remembered that he wanted to visit the grounds for the purposes of sacrificing people to a god in whom I did not believe, and so I said nothing. I did, however, repeatedly try to tell the plaintiff that he was welcome to visit the property, and that I considered it no more mine than his, and in fact, I was there less and less recently because I had been doing quite a lot of varied travelling, asking people why and that, were I to have had it, the property deed would probably be lost in coffee stains and inept filing systems in my previous abodes. The plaintiff demanded that my previous abodes be searched. It would be incredible, I thought, to be engaged in such an activity, to look through all the evidence of previous lives I had lived, all the trails left by me, by encounters, and by those whom I encountered. The plaintiff demanded that the property be seized. I always enjoyed this term, as it led me to always imagine a group of officials attempting to throw their arms around a house or a piece of land or a car or a speaker system. The ridiculousness of this image reminds me each time that it is the folly of those who don't want to lose their power to enforce private property so strictly. The plaintiff poured himself some more wine and adjusted an invisible detail on his clothes. Several days later, I discussed the matter with my lawyer in a seedy bar on West Street where we could drink cheaply and where the lighting, or lack thereof, made everything we said seem much more dramatic, which we enjoyed. It was a hopeless case, full of bureaucracy and human sacrifice, and no one had any hope of winning. My lawyer was living at the property at this time, but was reluctant to stay there with all this trouble. It was as if nowhere in the world was safe from the evils of greedy people, 
My lawyer was beginning to sound like the priest. In the end, I found myself once again unable to find any answer. The system was against me, and my dreams of turning the property into a Thunderbird-style superhero base had long since disappeared. I wondered why the property had originally been seized, and why in fact anyone lived there at all, for once upon a time it had been an uninhabitable tundra, like most of the planet. My lawyer considered the possibility of arguing that global warming would once again return the property to a desert. But after the fresh air of the morning cleared our heads, we rejected this line of defence. Unfortunately, it was in no one's interest for the world to end and for the land to consume all the living creatures in an attempt to relive the glory days of lifeless space, and there was no precedent for such an argument to hold up in court. We abandoned the property later that month, ignored our court summons, and later discovered the plaintiff had been sacrificed to Chernobog, luckily just in time, as the old gods were on the brink of rising from the depths of the ocean and laying waste to the planet. I believe that horses live there now. My translator told me all this some time after. She had been visiting the horses herself on occasion to take care of their mouse problem. Tyrants who tear my heart in two 
They bribe me with the shine of a diamond But a diamond doesn't love you